0: going to look at a pretty famous lady, the Queen of Sheba, you've probably heard her at least used in different expressions and things, Uh, but she was a real person, but uh, as I was preparing for this message, it got me thinking about, you know, sometimes I get get called with questions, um, and sometimes, you know, those, when someone calls me with those questions, I'm like, wow, I'm... I'm honored that you thought of me to, you know, to, to cover that topic with you. Other times, and this is more often, I'm like, why did you call me about this? You know, I guess I can Google that for you, right? I, what made you think I would know anything about this? And I guess people that know me well know that I just have a head full of useless information. I'm waiting for my shot on Jeopardy. That's got game show information. But it got me thinking, you know, what are, what are you known for, right? If I was going to call you with a question, what would it most likely be about? Now, for some of you, you probably have, like, a particular set of skills that, you know, I, there are certain people that if I call them, I'm probably calling because I have this problem with the car, right? Or, or maybe you, you really have a lot of knowledge about this one particular topic, and so it could be for that. But, you know, what, what, would, what are you most known for? What are people most likely to seek your counsel about? Because here's the thing. Knowledge and wisdom, they're not always the same thing. But they, they carry with them a, a reputation, right, a little bit of, of fame. I'm known for knowing about this thing. Um, but they, you know, you're also, your knowledge and your wisdom have a reputation, and fame, but also how you treat people, and that may be another sermon, you know, because you may know a lot about a thing, but I'm not going to call you because you're such a jerk about it, you know, try not to make eye contact with anybody as a <laughs> but you know, Pastor Chris and Ben and Scotty, all three, they've touched on over the last uh, several messages, we've learned about Solomon's wisdom, he, uh, you know, when he became king, God said, "Ask me anything you want, and And he could have asked for anything, but he said, I I want wisdom to lead your people. And God said, okay, not only am I going to give you that, but I'm going to give you all the things you could have asked for. You're going to have wealth and fame and all of those things. And so his wisdom especially has begun, his reputation has begun to spread for being so wise. And we're going to look into that a little bit. Before we get into our text, though, let's go ahead and pray. We'll ask God to help us understand this stuff. Jesus, we thank you for uh, allowing us to gather together today uh, in person, especially, and and also online. We're thankful uh, that uh, as crazy as times are, you blessed us to live in a time where we can still, the gospel can be preached um, all over the world. Uh, Lord, we just pray that as we're studying your word today, that um, we wouldn't just fill our heads with information, but Lord, that we would our hearts and our minds would be transformed by your wisdom. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we know we, we fill our, our hearts and minds full of all sorts of worldly things, and, and we just pray, Lord, that you would cleanse us this morning and that your word would permeate our spirits, and we'd leave here knowing you better, being closer to you than we were when we arrived. We pray for your blessing on the message, on your people, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Now the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, and she came to test him with difficult questions. Now, Like I mentioned earlier, the queen of Sheba, she's not just a character in a story. She's not only known of in in, in the Bible. This is, you know, Secular historians refer to her as well, Just Josephus writes about her. And so we know roughly where her territory was. It would have been modern-day Yemen and part of Ethiopia. And living here in the Midwest, we have sometimes a hard time picturing uh, geographically how the Middle East is laid out, right? Because we kind of just picture it's all desert and it's all in one place, you know? but actually you know she her territory was 12 to 1500 miles away from Jerusalem right so when she decides that she's going to go visit this king that she's hearing about it's not like she's just going to grab an uber and and go go see him it was about a 70 day journey and she decides i've heard so much i'm going to go test him and it says she's going to test him with difficult questions in this this word, it really means like uh, riddles or trick questions. It's kind of a game of, of uh, you know, antiquity is, you know, you would have riddles in it and, you know, just try to discover how smart someone really was. And so she decides she's going to go do that. And uh, verse 2, it says, so she came to Jerusalem with a very large retinue with camels carrying spices and very much gold and precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart, right so she 'd intended to go there with i 've got some cool puzzles for him, and she ends up speaking to him about all that was in her heart, and Solomon answered all her questions, nothing was hidden from the king, which he did not explain to her, so she came to see if, if Solomon was as wise as people said, and ends up talking to him about all that was in her heart. She just pours her heart out to him and and I think. You know, wisdom has has a way of kind of greasing the wheels of conversation. You know, when we we encounter real wisdom, we realize how badly we need it. We realize how thirsty we are for it. Now, maybe you've never had that experience, maybe you have. But when you, you come maybe into a conversation with someone and you realize, wow, this person really knows some things i want to know all that they know right because truth all truth is is god's truth proverbs 2 verse 6 says that the lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding right if someone has real truth if they have real wisdom they really only get it from one place now there are pithy sayings that people know and you know Cool little turns of phrase, but uh, very often some of the greatest truths that people have ever spoken, we realize, oh, they just reworded one of one of the proverbs or one of the psalms. Benjamin Franklin, not our Ben Franklin, but you know, the founding father guy, put out books full of these wise sayings, and then later, you know, when we had Google, we went, oh, he just stole the Bible. You know, he just quoted scripture all over the place, changed it a little bit, but it was still true. And of course, later in Proverbs, uh, we find out that, uh, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? Once we, we realize that this is where truth comes from, that's when we really begin to absorb it. But anyway, we'll read on here. 1 Kings 10, verse 4, it says, When the queen of Sheba perceived all the wisdom of Solomon and the house that he had built, The food of his table, the seating of his servants, the attendance of his waiters and their attire, his cupbearers, and his stairway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. There was no spirit in her. She saw not only is he really smart, not only is he really wise, he's wealthy. She's a queen, she's used to wealth, but this guy has wealth like she'd never seen. In the, in the quality and the quantity of the food that he serves. History tells us he would, when he would have a banquet, it was for thousands of people. And, and the way everyone carried themselves and just everything about the place, it says there was no spirit in her. And this word in the Hebrew, it's, it's ruach, it's, it's spirit, but it also means breath, wind. Right? There was, it took her breath away. That's impressive. When, when you impress a billionaire... With your wealth, more than likely you 're a criminal, but you know, <laughs> but in this case, in this case, uh, his wealth is so amazing that even other royalty are blown away by it. It just takes her breath away but more than anything i don 't think it was so much his wealth; it was his wisdom that took her breath away and and James tells us that godly wisdom, this real wisdom that that our spirits actually thirst for. It doesn't just sound good or sound different. Uh, it actually feels different and it acts differently. In James chapter three, verse 13, he says, "Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. right It's not enough to just know things, because Teddy Roosevelt said that uh, no one will care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, this, this phrase here, selfish ambition, in the Greek, this is, uh, it, it's literally a party spirit. Not like, you know, party, but like a, like a political spirit, right? You're, you, uh, you use your wisdom to gain followers, to gain reputation, to gain fame. You want to build a name for yourself, right? He says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth, right? So if you have that kind of spirit, it doesn't matter how wise you think you are. A little test for yourself do you, uh, do you ever speak just to be heard? Now, most of us don't think that of ourselves. But in a conversation, sometime today, test yourself and see how long were you thinking about what you were going to say. How much were you thinking about what you were going to say when it was your turn to speak, versus how closely and intently you were really listening to what the other person said. Very often we, you know, we're we're on the wrong end of that equation. We we're waiting for our chance to speak, so I can add to the conversation. So. So they'll know that I'm smart too, right? Or that I belong, or, or, or are you genuinely trying to help? Verse 15, it says, This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, it's natural, it's demonic even. It's the opposite of what godly wisdom is. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. In other words, real wisdom, it can be convicting, right? When you you talk to someone who really is wise about something, and, and they may show you, you are in the wrong. You've been looking at it all wrong. This is what the truth really is. That can be convicting. But godly wisdom, it's convicting, but it's not condescending. Right? It's, not making, it's not aiming to make you feel less. It's aiming to, to bring about peace and fruit in your life. And so Solomon has that kind of wisdom, the kind of wisdom that this queen had never really encountered in her life. And so 1 Kings 10, verse 6, says, Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. Nevertheless, I did not believe the reports until I came and my eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. You exceed in wisdom and prosperity the report which I heard. So she didn't believe half of what she had been told about him. And then when, once she's there, she realizes they didn't even tell me half of what there was to know. Right? You were so much more, so much better than what I expected. Verse 8, How blessed are your men! How blessed are, those, uh, are these your servants who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore he made you king to do justice. And righteousness. So basically, she says, you, you are so impressive that it's clear that only God could have provided this. You know, and that's not an insult to Solomon. He's so much better, so much grander than she could have possibly imagined that only God could be behind that. You know, Jesus tells us in, in Matthew 5. He says, to let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's the kind of life we're to have. Not to be impressive to everyone, but but to live the type of life that someone looks at you and says, clearly God is involved in your life, in the way you make your decisions, in the way you handle situations. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And she says, not only is it clear that God has been at work in your life, Solomon, but how blessed are the people who are around you? How blessed are your servants that they get to be around someone like this? And I wonder if the people serving there, if they actually felt that way, you know, if they had just kind of grown accustomed to it, that this is just how it is. Because I, I'd, I'd venture to say we all take a few blessings for granted, right? And I'm sure they had begun to do that as well. But 900 years or so later, after these events that we're, we're studying today, Jesus talked about the Queen of Sheba. And he talked of her as an example for us. In Matthew 12, uh, verse 38, it says that some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And there's a few verses that follow where you know, they're wanting him to perform a miracle and you know, impress them and dazzle them. And he says there's no signs going to be given to this wicked generation except the sign of the prophet Jonah right, for three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. And I'm, I'm going to be in the grave three days and... Uh, But then verse 42, he says, The queen of the south, which was another name for the queen of Sheba, will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it. Because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. He says, she'll be able to stand in judgment of you. Because she traveled From the ends of the earth, when she heard, she heard tales of a righteous, wise king, and she said, I have got to go see for myself. I'm standing right here in front of you, and I'm so much more than he was. And yet, you want a sign, you want a miracle. She heard the accounts of this king and said, you know, if there's truth, I'm going to seek it out. They hear accounts of an even wiser, even more righteous king. And they say, come and impress us. Come prove it. You know, she sought out the righteous king. She sought out wisdom, sought out truth, because she knew, if it's there, I want to have it. Right? And, you know, the reality is, he says that this, she's going to stand in judgment over many people. As an example of, look, look how far she went just to have a glimpse of a king. And we're all kind of in that position. We're all kind of in a far-off land, right? We're all distant from God. And the closer we get to Jesus, the bigger he appears. The more of him there, uh, there is, the better he gets. And so after coming and seeing for herself and just being blown away, she presents the king with gifts like he needs them, right? He's already wealthy. He's already so blessed, but she brings gifts. 1 Kings 10, verse 10. It says, she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great amount of spices and precious stones. Never again did such abundance of spices come in as that which the queen of Sheba gave King Solomon. Also the ships of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir brought in from Ophir a very great number of almond trees and precious stones. The king made of the almond trees supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also lyres and harps, those are like, kind of like guitars, uh, for the singers. Such almond trees have not come in again, nor have they been seen to this day. So she, in response to encountering a wise and righteous king, she brings him gifts. Gifts he doesn't really need. But he says, I'll take these gifts and I'm going to use them to build my house, to build the, the Lord's house. I'm going to use them to equip the musicians to serve in the temple. You know that uh, that our king works the same way, right? He doesn't need anything that we We bring him, but he wants to use whatever we bring to build his house, to build his kingdom, to serve his people. But Solomon, he didn't just answer her questions and her riddles. He he looked into her heart, it says, and and he gave her more than she asked for. So 1 Kings 10, verse 13 says that King Solomon gave to the queen of Sheba all her desire Gave her all her desire, what she requested, besides what he gave her according to his royal bounty. Then she turned and went to her own land together with her servants. So she brought him gifts, and then he gave her gifts from his treasury, right? She probably went home with more than she brought. And he didn't just answer her questions and solve her riddles. It says that he gave her all her desires. He looked into her heart and saw what she actually needed. So she gave all this bounty, and then he says, great, now I'm going to give you even more. And that, that, is, that is how the Lord works with us still to this day, is that you can't outgive him. You can't bring so much that he's impressed. And he wants to give you more, more than you can imagine. And You know, sometimes our needs are much deeper than, than what we can express or even understand. Right, because she didn't go there with the intention of him looking into her heart. But he did. He didn't just answer her questions. He he looked into her very spirit of what she needed, all her desires. And that that is how the Lord wants to work with you. He wants to give to you out of his lavish excess. Ephesians three, verse twenty says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, he is able to do more than we can imagine beyond all that we ask or think. That's that's how he wants to work in our lives. I, one time, uh, you know, we do trunk or treat here every year, and it's one of our, uh, one of our favorite things we do, and I remember one year, <laughs> uh, these kids are coming through, and I think, I can't remember, I was doing something, I was kind of busy, I couldn't, uh, turn, or, you know, couldn't reach the kid or whatever, I said, go ahead, buddy, just grab a handful, he was a little kid, and he stood there, and he, like, looked at his hands, and looked at me, and he goes, can you give me a handful, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, hold on, <laughs> I, so I, I gave the kid diabetes, man, I gave him. <laughs> I was like, good for you. But, but, you know, that's that's kind of how we approach God sometimes, right? Is God, you know, I know you're so busy, you know, running universes and things, but if you could just help me with this little thing. And he wants to do so much more than get involved in just this little thing. I remember my, my son, when it was time to get his first, you know, bike without training wheels, his first real bike. I took him to the store, and, and I said, just pick out the one you want. And, and he picks out the cheapest bike. Now, inside, I kind of was like, yes, but also, <laughs> but also, I was willing to give him whatever he wanted. And I was like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah. And we get home, and I'm like, well, why did you pick this one? And he goes, well, I figured you probably couldn't afford the other one. So I let him think that. But, um, but no, I would have I given him more if he'd just asked. But I'm not going to force, you know, I'm not going to force myself to pay double. And the bike he got was fine. But he uh, you know, he kind of missed out on a bigger blessing by simply just not trusting that his dad could do it. And so I never told him that, you know. I just let him keep riding the cheap bike. No, no, uh, I I just wonder sometimes if we don't, if we fail, well, I guess I know it to be true. The scripture tells us you have not because you ask not. If we're not failing to invite God into things that he so badly wants to be a part of and to bless, but he's not going to force himself on us. So there's a little thing here that I, I'm just going to address, some, some gossip. Here's the tea. Verse 13, it said that he gave to the Queen of Sheba all her desire. In the original language there, it says her passion, right? What she really wanted. So Jewish tradition says that the Queen of Sheba went home pregnant from this trip. That what she really wanted was a baby, and Solomon gave it to her. And she did, in fact, have a son after this journey. Uh, his name was Manelik, and he became, you know, had, had quite an empire for himself. And, and there's this strange offshoot of, of Judaism in that region. There's still rumors today that, uh, that that's where the Ark of the Covenant was kind of spirited off to and is, is held there to this day. Uh, the Bible doesn't speak about any of that. However, as we're going to see in chapter 11, that may not be entirely out of the realm of possibility based on how Solomon is beginning to behave. Because in the next few, uh, few verses of chapter 10, we get the, the description of all the wealth Solomon begins to amass. And it's thousands upon thousands of tons of gold. Right, it's a number that you can't even, your calculator won't go that far when you try to calculate what that, the value of that was. He has so much gold that pretty much everything he has is made of gold or plated with gold. It'd be like, you know, if you were today, you'd have like a gold toilet brush and a gold toilet seat, and everything's made of gold. His, his glasses, his drinkware is made of gold. Uh, his throne is made of ivory, and then they cover it with gold. Uh, it's just unbelievable the kind of wealth That he becomes, or starts to amass. And then down in verse 23, it says, So King Solomon became greater than all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. All the earth was seeking the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. That's awesome, right? This is the peak, the pinnacle of Solomon's fame and wealth. The whole world wants a piece of Solomon. And I think Solomon starts to uh, believe his own press. He starts to kind of buy into the, I am pretty awesome. I deserve to have a gold toilet seat. You know, I deserve all these things. Proverbs 27, uh, verse 21 it says that the crucible is for silver and the furnace for gold, right? These are how you refine things and test their purity. And each, each man, each is tested by the praise accorded him, right? Who you are is not based on your reputation and what people think of you. It is how you handle praise. It is how you handle that reputation, and Solomon begins to buy his own press and begins to think, you know, I really am something special. And that's a dangerous position to be in. Now, I'm not saying you should have low self-esteem and, and all of that, but um, we need to have accurate pictures of where we are in our walk with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is someone who... If anyone could brag about their the things they'd accomplished and and their knowledge and you know their spirituality, it would be him. And only one time in any of his letters does he even kind of do that. He says, you know, among Jews, I was I was a a Pharisee, the Pharisee of Pharisees. I was as good as that got. I had all the the pedigree. I had all the the things that you want, and I count it all as dung. It was just worthless in comparison. To knowing jesus but he says this in first corinthians 10 verse 11 and he's talking about the things in the old testament the things like what we've been studying today he says these things happened to them as an example and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall He says, people like Solomon, some of the things that happen in his life are there just to show us, you know, where we really are. Because a lot of us think, you know, if I just, if I was rich, if I was famous, if I had this thing, then life would be, you know, I would have it by the tail. But at Solomon at the height of his fame and his wealth and his power we find out there are some problems in his heart and he begins to increase his army something that God had told him not to do. He begins to just have obscene amounts of wealth more than he could possibly use and and he keeps trying to increase it then he and he starts to kind of make some deals where he's kind of cheating people and Solomon, you're already so wealthy. Why would you need to do that? And then we get into chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now King Solomon loved many foreign women. With all his wisdom and his wealth, Solomon still had this sin nature. He still had a foolish side, and and with all his blessings, he still invited trouble into his life. As wise as he was, he still could be a fool, right? Be careful when you think you stand, when you think you've got it all figured out. That's when you fall. Toward the end of his life, Solomon, as he reflected on his life, he said this in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. He said, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. The word vanity means it's empty. It's worthless. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. So what is the advantage of their owners except to look on? The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. There's a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. There's an old saying that riches are like, like salt water. You know, the, mo- the more you drink, the more you, the more you thirst. And this, this isn't to warn you about the dangers of having wealth. The warning is the danger of not being satisfied. Right? Not recognizing the source of peace, the source of satisfaction. Solomon's final conclusion, and it's possibly the wisest thing he ever wrote. Now, this, remember, this guy wrote most of Proverbs. And then there's the Song of Solomon, and then there's Ecclesiastes. He wrote a bunch of stuff, a really smart guy. And this is how he kind of concluded his life. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, he says, The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments. Because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. You know, we all have a, a thirst for something, a thirst for knowledge, or for answers, for wisdom, for wealth, for blessing. And if you feel like you're, you're far from having those answers, God says, come Come to me. I'm the one who has the answers. Come to me with your questions. Come see for yourself. Come and taste and see that that I'm good. But the real caution here is for those of us who do have a relationship with Jesus. If you know Jesus as your Savior, uh, just remind yourself that even Solomon didn't have it all figured out. Neither do you, neither do I. You know, the older I get, the less I realize I know. The older I get, the less I am 100% positive and sure about. Other than that God is so much bigger than I thought. So much better than I thought. So much more than I thought. And that's the only place I can go to get the answers that I can be sure of. So there is, there is wisdom to be found, and the, there are answers to be had, but it boils down to what Solomon says. W- what it all boils down to, after I have tasted everything, I had every bit of wealth, every bit of physical uh, pleasure and satisfaction that a man can have, and this is what life really comes down to. Is to fear God and keep his commandments. Solomon was really wise. Jesus was wiser, is wiser. And he said, close, Solomon. Jesus said, it comes down to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. All the rest of it depends on that. No matter how full of wisdom, no matter how full of wealth, No matter how blessed we think we should be or are, if it's not based on that, we're missing the point. So we're going to go ahead and close it there. If you would, just bow your heads with me we'll we'll pray. Lord, we thank you that you love us more than we can understand. And and that even uh, when we maybe get full of ourselves and think we have answers that we don't have, that you love us anyway. That your grace and your mercy covers all of that. Lord, we would just pray that uh, you would help us to uh, to see the areas where we've maybe become, um, allowed ourselves to be blinded. Help us to see where we've been leading on our own understanding rather than yours. Lord, let us share wisdom uh, as you give it to us, that we would share it with others. Not in a condescending way, Lord, but in a in the hopes of drawing them closer to you as, as we have as we walk closer to you well we pray for blessing on your people on this church on our community pray that we would be wise that we would uh, walk closer to you know you more and that it would pour out of us and, and people would see you through us Lord, we pray for your will to be done And we pray you come and come quickly. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ready?